Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Cancer Fight Podcast, recorded in Louisville, Kentucky, and produced by the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Cancer Fight aims to highlight the stories of fighters and survivors of all forms of cancer, as well as educate the public about prevention and awareness. I'm your host, Dr. Whitney Jones, a gastroenterologist and founder of the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Welcome to Cancer Fight. Today, we're speaking with David McCluskey, a colon cancer survivor and the founder of the Iowa Colon Cancer Foundation. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Jones. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us your story about who David McCluskey is, uh, what's going on with you, and then after that, we're going to talk about your personal cancer fight. But I want to hear a little bit about the David McCluskey outside of his colon cancer fight. No, I'm, I'm happy to share. You know, I, I really do appreciate, you know, the opportunity to speak with you. I like to share my story. I think it's really impactful. Um, I've shared my story over the years and, and over the years, I've really loved to hear other stories. So sometimes I get a little shy when it comes to talking about myself, but, but I appreciate it. I would like to, uh, I guess I just start. I'm just some regular guy who just grew up in central Iowa and, uh, you know, I went to Iowa State University. I met my wife there. We moved to Des Moines. We were living a normal life. Um, had my son when I was 30 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm into sports and I'm into outdoor activities. I'm into hanging out and socializing and love being with friends and, and family. And, and I was just some normal Joe who's just kind of walking along life and and uh so all of a sudden in 2007 uh we, we took a little bit of a pivot so that's that's kind of me in a, in a quick nutshell so just a normal guy doing normal stuff and uh we're gonna slip in a disclosure here uh david works for exact sciences uh and i am a consultant and uh, speak for exact sciences and we're not going to talk about any specific products during this particular piece <clears throat> but from a corporate standpoint and compliance, it's important to get that out there for our Absol audience. Absolutely. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I started working at Exact Sciences five years ago. Um, I love working for the company, but anything I'm sharing today is really just about my personal story and has, uh, you know, really uh, doesn't represent any of the positions of Exact Sciences or any of its affiliates. It's just really a, a conversation about, you know, my journey in colorectal cancer. For sure. So you're bopping along out there in the flat Midwest, the wind's blowing, the corn is going up. Uh, then what happened to you? Tell us about your cancer fight. Well, professionally, I've been in sales my whole career and I, and I broke into medical sales in about 2004 and I was working in the urology market, um, doing some different things in primary care and with urologists. And, and uh, I was out at a, at a national kind of a, sales meeting or a trade show in, in Las Vegas. And, and ironically, my brother was working for Olympus at the time and he was selling colonoscopy scopes and equipment. And uh, I noticed some blood in my stool when I took a break and do the, uh, into the bathroom. And of course, the first thing that a guy does when he notices blood in his stool, he calls his brother. Right. And so I called my brother and you know, his first thing was like, yeah, it's nothing to be worried about. I was 37 at the time. He's, you know, but his, his advice was, you know, if it persists for a couple of weeks, you know, go see your primary care and, and, and get it looked at. And, and so two weeks turned into three months and, 
and it persisted, but you know, busy lives and, you know, a little blood in the stools, no big deal. And, and, uh, and so we just kind of went along. This is back in October of 2006. And, and, and we always spend some time over Christmas or new year's with my brother and his family. And like I said earlier, I've, you know, I'm a really social person. So normally we'd go out and tear it up on, on new year's Eve. And I just didn't have the energy. I, I was kind of lethargic, just not feeling real well. I was having bouts of constipation, some diarrhea. I just wasn't feeling great. Blood kind of persisted. And my brother was like, what's going on? What's up? And I told him and he was pretty upset with me because I'd, you know, he, I'd kind of promised him that if I, it went on for two weeks that I would go see my doctor. And so we had a conversation and, and I made a promise and two weeks, uh, about a week after I got back, uh, first week of January, I went and saw my primary care doctor. Um, and he suggested, you know, he took, you know, he was pretty thorough. He, uh, he really asked me a lot of great questions and was really interested in my family history and, um, wasn't too terribly concerned about the blood, but, um, his conversation with me as after he did a full workup and, and, and knowing that I didn't know my biological father's family history, he said, you know, I don't think there's really much to be concerned about with the blood, but I just feel a lot better if you um, got a colonoscopy just to make sure that, you know, this is nothing to be more concerned about. And I, I like the way he really approached it because it, it didn't alarm me. It didn't like get me all worried. And so I said, I figured that's what you're going to say. So we scheduled the, we scheduled the scope and it was about a month later. It was scheduled for, uh, for February 15th, about a month after that appointment. And, um, I almost canceled the appointment because I had a big deal that was going on in South Dakota and, and, uh, you know, work was way more important than my health at the time. And the, the provider I spoke with, I, I explained the situation to her and she's like, David, just go get your scope done. You know, we can meet in a couple of weeks. This is no big deal. And the ironic thing I always think about through this whole journey is that, you know, I almost canceled it. I almost put it off everything kind of lined up and I stuck with it. But the whole time, you know, that we had, that I was have experiencing the blood and, and the, and the irregular, you know, the bowel movements and the changes in bowel habits. It never once crossed my mind, my wife's mind. My wife is a financial advisor. She's always disaster planning. So it never crossed her mind. It never even crossed my brother's mind that this could possibly be anything except for a hemorrhoid. And we were going in to fix the hemorrhoid. In fact, the week before, I didn't even told my wife's family yet that we were doing it. And my brother-in-law had asked me, he's like, well, what's going on? I said, well, you know, I kind of jokingly said, I, you know, it looks like I got a turd stuck sideways. And we got to go figure out what's going on. So um, just jokingly about it, right? And even when we woke, you know, when I went under, the gastroenterologist who performed the procedure on me, before I went under, the last thing he said to me was, David, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. And, and Dr. Stahl has just retired during COVID here the last couple of weeks. So he was still practicing. Um, but he, he said, that, David, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. You got nothing to worry about. I'll see you soon. And when I woke up, my wife was sitting there and she'd been crying and she was surrounded by her family, her mom and her her dad and her sister. And, and I was just like, what in the world? That must've been the worst hemorrhoid we've ever seen. So uh, she broke the news to me and um, we, we, we put the wheels in motion pretty good after that. Right. And you were, so you were diagnosed with rectal cancer and this was 2002 was long before 
we had wrapped our heads around early age onset colon cancer. In well, fact. 2000, 2007 is 2007. Yeah. But even yeah. then it was barely on anyone's radar at that time. Uh, Nobody. Not knowing your family history is a, is always a conundrum for people. Uh, so what happened after that? What happened after this diagnosis? If you want to roll us through what you yeah. went through in the treatment phase. You know, it was, it, it, we, we went right into motion. Dr. Stahl sent me right away um, to a colorectal cancer or a colorectal surgeon downtown, um, Sue Beckwith. And, and we headed down there. Uh, she had an opening. We, she got us in right away. Uh, she, she took a quick peek. I think it must have been a flex sig. I don't know what it was. I know it was painful and I was still kind of groggy from what was going on and just in shock. But um, we all went down. Um, we talked to her. This was a Thursday. I remember it vividly. And she basically said, you know, I would encourage you if you feel like you want to get a second opinion, go right ahead. We're certain you have rectal cancer. We're not quite sure exactly where it is. We don't know what the stage would be, but you're going to have to have surgery. Um, it just so happens that I do have an opening tomorrow and we could do it tomorrow afternoon and you've already, you're already prepped so we could keep you on a clear liquid diet. You don't have to have surgery right away, but if you, if you want to, you know, that's an option for you. So we cuddled up really quick. And the only thing I could, the first thing that we can think about is get it out. Let's just go in, get it out and we'll deal with it from there on. So I had surgery actually the very next day and it was a Friday and so then we had to wait for pathology uh, until Monday after the surgery. It, it was open then. They weren't doing very many lap surgeries um, for rectal cancer. I don't, think, I don't think anybody was doing it back then. Maybe there was a few, but not very many. Um, and so uh, we, we got the, uh, we got the uh, pathology report back on Monday, and my oncologist met with me on that Monday night. And we were really, you know, we're really blessed to have found it when we did. It was a, it was a stage two, so I had uh, no lymph node involvement, but um, I did have a T3 tumor. So with my age, the oncologist recommended that we treat me like I was a stage three. Um, and so radiation followed later and then the full Fox therapy for uh, 12 full Fox infusions over the next year. And, um, you know, I, I could go into the nitty gritty details, but it, it was not a fun year. Uh, the radiation was brutal. My incision incision herniated. I had to have a repair done with that. Um, I had, you know, the full Fox was a monster for me. And I had to have a couple little breaks in between. But we, we got through it all by about October, November of that year. And, um, and then, you know, slowly started to get stronger after that. Um, during my chemotherapy treatments is when my life kind of changed. And when I met, I, well, I would go into the oncology suite and um, really look for somebody who was close to my age. And I very rarely would find anybody, but there was a, there was a young man one day who was being admitted for a bowel obstruction who was about two years into his fight. And he was diagnosed when he was 33. And so at the time he was 35. So we had a lot in common and we kind of hit it off in the, in the room and, or in the waiting room. And I went in to see my oncologist, he got admitted and I went up and spent a few hours with him and we became fast friends. His name was David as well. So we, we had a lot in common. Didn't, no sneaky things with the nurses or anything like that. Didn't nothing, nothing out of, nothing out of sorts with that relationship. <laughs> nothing out of sorts. But you didn't know your dad, but I'm curious, did you have any 
background in cancer in your family or your in-laws or anything that sort of prepared you for this? You know, not really. I mean, I think that, you know, my, my short experience in the urology market, ironically, I mean, it's just the other side of the, you know, the waste disposal part of our, of our bodies. But I had been talking a lot about frequency and urgency and, and benign prostates and, and the importance of uh, going and seeing your primary care physician. And I was at a time in my life where I hadn't had a physical since I was in high school, right? I mean, there's no reason for me to even go in and see a doctor. I don't think I even had insurance until I was 30, right? 30, maybe 31 when I got married. And um, so I, I just felt like I needed to start practicing what I was preaching. I got my physical, but that was clear that year. That was like the, the six months. My physical was completely clear, no issues whatsoever, perfectly healthy. And six months later, I, I ended up being diagnosed with, with, with rectal cancer because of the, because of the symptoms. But I really do credit it to, uh, you know, my brother being in medical sales myself. Um, I, I wouldn't say I have a medical background, but I was a uh, athletic training major in, in college. So always had interest in the human body and, and those types of things. And so I think that's what kind of spurred me on was kind of practice what you preach when you're talking in urology. And it really did apply to this side of things as well. Yeah. Almost like my brother who thinks he's an assistant doctor because he's been with me so many years. Yeah, the Google doctors, right? We're all Google doctors now. So we, we all know what we're talking about. Well, so when you go back and look at that, did, were there any lessons, any tools, elements of how you approach things in your business, in your professional life, your personal life, that you took with you when you all of a sudden had this new battle uh, against cancer? Was there anything that you really reached down in the well on? If you could share that with people, that would be spectacular. You know, I know what you're saying. And it's just like, I just feel like at that point in my life, it really, I didn't really realize the impact of it for about a year, actually, until after we lost David Kinman. Uh, well, it wasn't even that long. So I met David Kinman um, in the oncology suite that day. And, and he was like, he was, he was diagnosed with stage four. So he was 33 when he was diagnosed. Um, he had, he had, he had cancer all over his liver. Um, they'd only given him nine months to live and he ended up making it two years with some alternate therapies he'd had. But, you know, uh, I, I, the biggest moment for me was when I ended up having to go to, I, I went to his wake um, in July. I think it was July of 2007 because we lost him shortly after we made a really good connection and then lost him really quick. And um, I went to his wake and I got to see pictures of him holding his child uh, uh, Cole who he got to meet and pictures with his wife, Brady, and they'd just been recently married and she was nine months pregnant with Cole when he was diagnosed. And, and then seeing those really impactful, like there's some black and white pictures where he was holding his son and my son was just four years old at the time. And that was a moment for me where I just realized I really have to take this opportunity and make a difference. And what are we going to do? You know, so we left the wake and my wife looked at me and she goes, so you're going to do that triathlon you've been talking about for so long? And I joked and we said, yeah, well, maybe, maybe we could turn it into a fundraiser or something. And um, the fundraiser turned into um, our original name of our foundation was David's Fight, which was supposed to reflect both David's losing battle and my hopefully winning battle at the time. We didn't know for sure. Um, but really trying to, you know, 
it, it, it started out being a fundraiser for coal and maybe a scholarship for coal or a, or a trust or a fund for coal for his education. And after speaking with Brady, we found out that was taken care of. And so what could we do in the community? Because David and I had talked about even early on talking about sharing our stories and, 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 and showing the difference in waiting and, and, and not waiting when you find symptoms and, and those types of things and just educating more and, and just figuring out what we could do. And so we looked into that and we started our own 501c3 and we started out with a, a racquetball fundraiser at a local club because that's what David did. He was, um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he's professional, but he was probably more of a semi-pro racquetball player and they, and they held a, a fundraiser to get our foundation off the ground and, and then we started just kind of poking around in the community and seeing, you know, what, where the needs were, because we, we didn't want to just do a fundraiser and, and give it to the cancer center or give it to a national organization or, or have the, the funds not stay local and impact local, our local community. So that, that's where our focus was. And, and so I guess if I had to have a set sentinel moment and look back on what changed me was just seeing the pictures of David holding his son and, and realizing that he and his son weren't going to have the memories that I could build with my own son. So that was a big impact for me. That's powerful. That's yeah. powerful. Talk, talk about the importance of your social support within your family, particularly your wife and, and your brother, because I think people don't understand how critical that is. I, I, you know what? Everybody comes out of the woodwork when, 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 the, when the diagnosis happens, um, I think. It felt like, you know, well, actually, you know, I will say that, a lot of people come out of the woodwork and a lot of people shy away from it. Some of your closest friends you think would be there really kind of uh, distance themselves from the fear of what, you know, could happen. Um, so we found our strength uh, within our, within our family and, a, and, and a few close friends, but mostly family. My wife's got an amazing family. They're very close. She's got two other sisters and her mom and dad. Um, they, they were very supportive that from the, from the very moment we started off and then my brother um, and his family, and then, you know, his wife, Chris and, and her extended family, she, they're from Chicago and they've got the big Italian family and you never leave hungry and you never leave without lipstick all over your face. But they, they just, both of those core families really uh, polarized around us and, and, and was there for us every step of the way. They, they really were. I mean, it's easy, I think, to be there for somebody maybe the first couple of weeks. But when you're, when you're four months into this fight and six months into this fight and then a year into this, this isn't something that just goes, goes away overnight. This is, this is something that you really need people to speak with and talk to and rely on um, all the way through that process because there's a lot of healing that goes on after you get done with the therapy. So. They were critically important. I mean, I can't even stress it enough. Did you did, did you have any issues related to the radiation and everything? You're a pretty young guy when you're getting that radiation down there. Did you all have some discussions about what that would imply and how that might impact you later on? You know, um, we did. We you know we the the conversation really centered around what we could do during the radiation treatments to. Pre, we, we were hoping to have more children. So um, I, we need to do some, um, uh, some uh, we need to bank some sperm. We needed to do that right away. We needed to get things going right away. So that was something uh, we did. And during the radiation treatments, I, 
we, we had to take a lot of extra precautions. Um, there was this massive thing that held the boys in place and it wasn't great. Um, and it was every day. And um, I've learned even over the years, I mean, I, I really kind of do attribute the, the, uh, uh, the incisional hernia that I experienced probably had something to do with the radiation. Um, I would say that um, I've learned even 13 years later that radiation is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, I've had numerous uh, bowel obstructions over the years. We've, uh, you were helpful in, in diagnosing even, even less than a year ago, uh, what I experienced as a motility problem. You know, I, so I had to change my diet a little bit and it's not a traditional way to do it. I, I really do like my diet now and, and, and things are working well, but um, I really do think that it's going to be that, that moment. And, and, and even when I talk to other survivors, um, you know, that are 10 years out, 10 years plus out, I think even the medical community is really learning more about young survivors, how to better treat young people because there's long-term implications to the therapies that we're getting. I, I still do experience numbness and ting tingling in my fingertips uh, from the, from the full Fox, the radiation, I do believe is going to continue to wreak havoc on me. And I, I just don't know what the insides look like. You know, I mean, there could be adhesions that are, I'm sure there are, you know, so, and I've got a large piece of mesh in me that's really concerning from time to time as well. So yeah, this is the, I, I don't complain about it. You know, I, I, it's just, the, it's, it's a new normal. And I, here we are, I've been talking about a new normal for over a decade and we're talking about new normals all the time now, but um that's a, you know, and then there's, um, there's other, you know, sexual function issues that have really kind of cropped up over the years that we, every time I have something comes up and something that's really can't be explained, um, the doctors usually lean on, it's probably the radiation. The boogeyman. The boogeyman's there. So it's that damn radiation, TDR. Well, going the other way around, uh, you sort of had uh, youthful, ignorant bliss as the thing you took into your initial part of your cancer fight. Yeah. Now that you've been at it and beat this thing and still dealing with some of the echoes of it, what would do you take now from your cancer fight and apply that back either into your work or into your life? What's that critical thing that you've learned that you're now applying to the rest of your, your rest of your time here? Uh, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I was 38 and invincible at the time. And I was going to take on the world and I was going to beat this disease all by myself. I was going to make the biggest difference and everything was going to change and everybody was going to go get their colonoscopies on time and, and, and everything was going to be great. And it took a few years, but then to realize that this isn't something that you can do yourself. You don't do it yourself when you're fighting the disease. You don't do it yourself when you're recovering from the disease. You don't do it yourself to help raise awareness and be an advocate for the disease, it's really important to network and to be a part of a community, I think. And, and everybody can have their own fight in the community, but we all have a little bit that, you know, that, that that's going on. So I really started to network out and, and work with not only, you know, what's going on here locally in Des Moines, but what's going on, you know, in the state. I think, I, th I think state work, is the most important thing and what you can do because every state is different. Everything's going on that's different. So we really focus on what was going on in the state, but then as that branched out, we could share what we're doing in the state of Iowa with the region. And then 
from the region to a national level. And, 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 and fortunately, you know, being involved in going to the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable is what led me to you. And, and, and that's how you and I met. And, and you and I have a lot of similar beliefs and how we need to kind of attack this disease and, and starting at the state level is the way to do it. So, um, but you certainly can't do it by yourself. You have to surround yourself with a community of people who, who all have unique, special talents and abilities and, 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 and it makes you think outside of the way you would normally think. So that's been um, the biggest, most enlightening thing for me is, is really being a part of a network and part of a community and I can't do it by myself. So your sentence would be the secret to a successful cancer fight is get a team. Get a team, get a team and, and then broaden that team out. Well, let's, let's talk about your team that you've built in Iowa. Uh, I think it's spectacular. You want to talk a little bit about the foundation and some of the work that you do. You've got some really innovative programs, particularly around young colon cancer and genetic testing and support for people who are fighting these. I'm sure people would be very interested to hear what you've been able to put together in Iowa. Absolutely. I'd love to share that. We, you know, originally up until about, um, I want to say 2012 or 13, uh, the name of the foundation or 501c3 was David's Fight. And, um, you know, we were always trying to find the kind of a, an event or something that we could do to bring a community together. And I, never, I didn't want to be just another 5K. I didn't want to do just another walk. But really, it just kind of everything brought me back to, you know, doing a walk and, and, and doing, a, doing a 5K if we could. And, and, and my resistance to it originally became what I really embraced. And it's just the sheer fact that everybody can be involved. Everybody could come together and, and we could start to form a community. And, and so we landed with the, with the Colon Cancer Coalition and, uh, and Kristen um, and that group up in, up in Minneapolis. Um, I, I like the grassroots that they were doing. I like the whole message that gets your rear and gear had. So they helped, they, they could help support us on a lot of the things that they'd already learned, but we were the first race in Iowa. So, we, we made a, a quick agreement with them and then we formed our get your rear and gear race in Iowa to help kind of start to establish a little bit more funding. Um, you know, originally when we were looking at what we were doing with David's fight and the foundation, um, we really went to the cancer centers and we asked what the needs were, what was, what could we do in the community to help? And a lot of times it just really centered back around, a, you know, the underserved population, the uninsured population. This is prior to, you know, the Affordable Care Act and, and what could we do, you know, before, before the Affordable Care Act was actually taking, you know, was taking hold, what could we do to help the underserved communities and what could we do to make a difference? Because we knew that there were some health disparities and there's a lot of barriers in the way to getting screened. And we learned that through the cancer centers and being part of support groups and then getting involved with the Iowa Cancer Consortium and the Iowa Department of Public Health and just having meetings and meeting people. Um, fortunately, um, Gina Jones, who was my radiation nurse, um, Gina went to work shortly after my treatments with the Iowa Department of, uh, Department of Public Health with the Iowa Get Screen program. And she was really involved in the colorectal cancer aspect of things. So we got to make a connection and, and Gina became part of our organization. I mean, kind of, kind of more just a, you know, a volunteer, a voice, a connection part of the network and um you know when we really identified our first program we called it our, our scope it program but what we were doing was we were we were actually paying for colonoscopies and making 
agreements with local uh, ambulatory centers, with the hospitals, to actually just outright pay for colonoscopies for patients who were not only, you know, 50 and older, but patients who were under the age of 50 who were experiencing symptoms, who couldn't get any other resources, who couldn't, you know, get any assistance. And over the years, you know, that Scopit program was nice because it, we did pay for about 150 colonoscopies over the years and, and um, found uh, two different cancers in that, in that process and really made an impact on, on, uh, on those families' lives. And, and um, but, you know, a lot of the times, you know, it, it became a pretty cumbersome process to navigate the billing aspect of things and the, everything that goes on in that, you know, the, the application process. So. Um, over the years, we, we, we've kind of modified that program and we worked it into a grant program for a local FQHC and trying to help be involved with that. But, but the reason why I brought Get Your Rearing Gear up was because that's when the community really started to form in, in Des Moines. I mean, that's when I started to really make connections with the survivors who weren't going to the support groups. You know, the survivors who had learned about it or, or the families who had lost young people, right? Um, and making the connections there. And and really just that that sense of community really formed and and our genetic testing program really came out of uh, a team that uh, called Brad's Hope that was our biggest and most strongest team in the early days of Get Your Rearing Gear and they were clear up two hours away and, the, and and they formed the strongest team they had 50 to 60 people coming down they were raising 20 to 25 thousand dollars a year and donating it to our organization and and so we wanted to do something um, that would really, you know, kind of reflect the impact that colorectal cancer had on that family. And, and, and Brad Brochar, um, I might get his age wrong, but he was in his you know, probably 30 to 33 years old, somewhere in there. But um, he had lost his fight uh, with colorectal cancer at a very young age. And he had um, uh, polyposis. Um, so he had the Help me out, Dr. Jones. Uh, the Lynch syndrome or familial polyposis? Familial polyposis, uh, ADHP, I think is what it's called. I, I, I'm not, I don't have my F notes in front of me. FAP, yeah. So um, he, had, he had that syndrome. And so we thought that since they had done so much um, for our organization, what could we do to kind of give back? And, and we knew genetic testing was on the forefront. I had the myriad testing done when I was, right after I was um, um, diagnosed my oncologist recommended it. The cancer center did that for me. And we knew that there was a lot of insurance companies that weren't covering um, the genetic testing at the time. So we created a, 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 a program out of our organization called Brad's Hope. And we would pay for genetic testing for any family member who had a family member who had already tested uh, positive for either Lynch or FAP. And so um, we were kind of requiring that's kind of seminal moment where, you know, somebody, if, and it was, if somebody's insurance company wasn't covering it, then we would make, a, we made a deal with Myriad and we would pay the bill for that, for that, all the family members to make sure that they got the genetic testing because we knew how important the, you know, that aspect of things was. So, um, right. and then, and then um, in our second get your rearing gear, uh, Tim Purdue or first get your rearing gear, I'm sorry, um, a survivor I had met, um, you know, the cancer centers would always kind of connect me with the young survivors. And, and a, a gentleman by the name of Tim Purdue was a, a diagnosed young uh, in his 30s uh, was introduced to me and he helped us get the very first get your rearing gear off the ground. And um, um, he had mentioned to me 
how difficult it was for him undergoing full fox therapy in the wintertime in Iowa uh, with the sensitivity to the cold to, to clear the snow. And it took us a couple of years before, after Tim had passed, before that light bulb went on for me. But um, we developed, after Tim passed, uh, the Snow Angels program in Iowa, which is still going very strong today. Um, and what we do with that program is that we will contract with uh, local snow removal companies, landscape companies, and we will pay for the snow removal for any family who's undergoing chemotherapy for colorectal cancer. Uh, and it, it was originally in the whole state of Iowa. We've kind of narrowed our focus into the Des Moines market because of funding. But we're helping, we're helping nearly 35 to 50 families every, every winter get their snow removed through the Snow Angels program. And, and that's what Get Your Rearing Gear is provided for us, not only the community and getting to know a network of, of, of great families and, and, and survivors and those that have lost the fight, but um, helping us kind of just uh, raise the funds to be able to afford the programs that we do because we're, we're, we're a pretty small little nonprofit organization here. We don't have, we're bare bones. We don't have anybody on, on, um, on salary and we don't have any overhead. We just try to keep it lean and mean and make sure that the money that we raise to get your rearing gear goes directly back into the community. So we're serving. Yeah. What an amazing story to be able to, we don't have that much snow here in Kentucky. So we have a similar program called the fighters fund though, where we try to assist people with their daily costs, uh, fighting colorectal cancer. But, you know, amazing how your personal experience with cold due to your chemo translated directly into this unique program in Iowa. Yeah, it just really worked well for us. It's been a really, it's been a real blessing for um, some of our families. My son made a video on it this last year. I'll send you a link for it so you can so, so if people want to learn more about the foundation or make a donation, uh, what's that website or contact that they should go to? You can go to coloncanceriowa.org. Real simple, all spelled out, not IA, but coloncanceriowa.org. And um, there's a lot of different information on that site. We've got some great stuff going on. We've got a super colon. We've got all the great fun stuff to help make, uh, make some memories and, um, and we try to, remember those that we've lost um, and then really support the survivors um, that we have. So you can donate there and you can find out a little bit more of what we're all about. Send me an email. I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody who wants to chat. David, how is, how have these experiences reshaped what your definition of success looks like? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you, it's uh, the first thing that came to mind when you asked me that Dr. Jones was uh, my oncologist and the conversation that we had shortly after David Kinman passed. And he said, David, I want you to understand that his journey is not your journey. He was much further gone than you were. And this is not where you're going to end up. And this was, you know, shortly after my diagnosis. But um, I think that um, my, I think the biggest impact that this disease has made on me is to, to really it, it, it's really important to be a part of your local community and, and, and to raise awareness. And it's, it's a really difficult thing to do to, to get people to understand the, the, the significance of this disease and, and the impact on the, that it has on the lives and in our communities. And, and that I really do feel like this happens one conversation at a time. I think that this happens, um, 
one moment at a time. And as we build and as we continue to share our story, that's why I, I just love what you're doing here to help continue to share my story because 13 years later, I don't do a lot of that much anymore. I like to share everybody else's story. So it's nice to kind of revisit that and, and, and to be introspective on what really motivates me. But my son is going to be a senior in high school next year. He's going off to college at the University of Iowa. And I'll tell you what, um, this is where I get a little choked up, is that um, had I continued on, well, first of all, obviously, I, I, I probably wouldn't still be here talking to you today. But had I not even been diagnosed with colorectal cancer and just kind of been leading the life that I'd been leading, I would have really taken a lot of things for granted. I, would have, I wouldn't have really enjoyed the small moments um, that I really enjoy now. Um, uh, the baseball games, the making sure I'm coaching, making sure I'm, in, I'm available and that I'm present um, with my family. And, and I'm certainly not perfect at that, but I, I really do feel like um, the disease gave me perspective. And people ask me, you know, wow, that was really something terrible to have to go through. I, and I always say, well, for me personally, colorectal cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me because it completely changed the trajectory of my life. And it, it gave me purpose. Not that I didn't have any purpose before, but this really gave me something that was really micro-focused and what could I do to leave a legacy for myself? And how did I make a difference in this world? So that's, um, that's what it did for me. David, what an inspirational story. Uh, turning adversity into action and action into advocacy. Uh, I, I think anyone who's, who's met you knows that this comes from the heart and the work that you've been able to do in Iowa and uh, transport nationally has been an inspiration to us all. Well, thank you, Dr. Jones. I, I, you know, God has put me in a spot and, and crossed my paths with some, with some amazing people along the way. And, 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 and thank God, um, uh, our paths crossed that uh, at that national colorectal cancer meeting because uh, you have absolutely changed my life as well. I love what you guys are doing in Kentucky. I hope we can take what you guys have done and pattern that here in Iowa. We've we've established the beginning stages of that. We're looking forward to getting that legislation passed so that we can make some significant difference uh, here in the state of Iowa, like you've done in Kentucky. You've done great work. Great. Well, thank you, David. Listen, I want to really say thank you from all of our listeners for sharing your story with us on Cancer Fight. It's inspirational, and more importantly, it's, it's, a, it's a translation of, uh, of the work and what you've been through into your daily life and your actions. So thanks again, and uh, keep fighting that cancer, brother. Yeah, you too, brother. Thank you so much. Love you. Okay, have a great day. You too. Thank you for being with us today on Cancer Fight. To keep up with our work, follow Colon Cancer Prevention Project on all major social media platforms and visit our website, kickingbutt.org. Special thanks to our producer, Keaton Jones, and our director, Maggie Cunningham. Until next time, fight on, cancer warriors.